Welcome back to Mathematically Speaking. I'm your host, Adam Allred. This is episode 2 of season 2. Let's get started. Now, the central character of this episode is a man by the name of Thales of Miletus. He lived from 625 BC to 545 BC. And he's a lesser known Greek philosopher that helped develop Western science as we know it. And there's a good chance that we would not have gotten all the way to Francis Bacon and the scientific method were it not for this man. He's the one that demanded that we provide reason for our mathematical and scientific claims. In science, this later became the scientific method, but in mathematics, we have maintained Thales' original method for the most part. He is why we have the concept of proof. And in the second half of the show, I will dive more into what the idea of proof means, but for now, let's talk about Thales. By being the one that created the culture for providing reasons for our claims, in effect, he invented the philosophy of natural science. He did not like that things that were not understood were just written off as acts of gods. He required that everything to be argued, everything had to be argued rationally. And much of this is still around today. There are those who attribute everything, even the creation of the world itself, to a god. And there are those who deny the premise and deny that premise and provide contrary evidence. These people claim that they are using only reason and rationality in these arguments, and those who attribute them to a god are not. Without giving away my position on this, a brief defense for those who are religious. While everyday practitioners may not know the full details of every religious argument, it does not mean that those arguments are without reason. This is the same for those who are more into science. They do not know the ins and outs of every scientific argument ever had, but nobody denies the rationality of that science. Just something to think about. Now back to the show and Thales. His method of reasoning and his development of geometry are very impressive and very backward from how we learn math today. He traveled to Egypt and then marveled at their creations, like the pyramids, the mathematics involved in them. But remember, the Egyptians did not have abstract geometric concepts. They just knew how it all worked through application alone. Thales, seeing that they had no abstracted system, went back to Greece and got to work creating it. Do your best to remember your geometry days, and some of these things may sound familiar. He formalized methods of finding if two triangles are congruent, which means the same. For example, two triangle, triangles are the same if they have a side, angle, and a side that are the same. He's also the one that gave us the conjecture that the sum of all angles in a triangle is 180 degrees. And many, many other theorems that gave us the foundations to geometry as we know it today, or at least has how we learned it. He also developed the very first formula for a circle for the area of a circle. Today we say that it is pi r squared. He would have said it a little differently. Recall that, recall that the number for Greeks were all ratios. And they wouldn't have had pi as we know it yet, since pi cannot be written as a fraction. So the area of a circle for him is this. The area of two circles are to each other as the square of their diameters. The area of a circle is not a number, rather it is a ratio between the area and squared diameters. Yeah, I know that ratios are numbers technically, but it's it's a little different. The area of a circle is built as a ratio, not just a number that can be thought of as a ratio. 
And how we developed this abstraction is fascinating, though. He saw the applications first, and then he went and developed the theory. Compare this is how, to how we are taught math. This varies from grade level to grade level, but can be boiled down to a few cases. One case is just theory. You are given theorems and definitions, and then you are expected to apply these. The other option is just being shown applications without being told why, and you're supposed to develop the theory on your own. The Thales method is the harder way, but I believe that it's the correct way, because it puts learning at the pace of the learner. Now, this can't be imp implemented in the modern school system because individual pacing is apparently unacceptable. Ironically enough, I learned math best the first method. Give me theory, and I will use it however you want me to. Now, that is it in terms of the story of Thales. His impact is much more interesting. So let's talk about that. Math, we hear a lot of the word proof. There are those that think there are those that think that without proof there is no mathematics. There are different ways to prove something and different degrees of rigor in proofs. Some think that for a proof to be correct, there needs to be, it needs to be extremely rigorous, and I'll, I'll define what rigor is later. It's a very, it's a, it's a thing that's hard to define because a lot of times we just use it as itself to define it. It's very bad. But boiled down, it can mean that everything must be defined and explained. Nothing can be assumed to be known by the reader. There are also those things, those that think that rigor is entirely useless and it is used as a tool to keep people out of mathematics. These people tend to be more on the radical side of the mathematical community if you can believe that there is a radical side to it. But in math, proof is how we know something. There are many ways that we can know something to be true or correct. In fact, there is an entire branch of philosophy studying this called epistemology. And I believe that there are episodes in season zero that goes into the different kinds of knowing. So if you want to give those a re-listen, you can if you want to get brushed up. But before Thales, what were we doing? It's hard to imagine that there was a time where we didn't require rational argument in a defense of a claim. We demand reasoning almost to a fault now. Just because there's reasoning behind it does not mean we need to know it. A classic example is when people ignore marginalized peoples because we don't have the studies to verify the things that they tell us. A current example is Australia. Right now it's on fire. The aboriginals for centuries had techniques of limiting fires during times of high fire risk. The government ignored these suggestions, but now that there are studies about these techniques, people saying that we should have used them to avoid these fires. And aboriginals are just shaking their heads like if you had listened to us we probably could have avoided the, the degree of fire, the intensity of these fires, with just a bunch of smaller ones during winter seasons where, it's, where things don't burn as well. Now the first method that was come, the, the first method that was invented by Thales and cemented to mathematics by Euclid is called the method of exhaustion. This method, as you may have guessed, is very tiring because you have to explicitly state everything about the problem you are trying to solve. No jumping steps or making assumptions without stating them and explaining why you can make them. Nobody does this anymore. 
but its impact is still felt. And when we get to the episode, in about two or three episodes, on Euclid, and we talk about the book that he wrote, you'll see what the, of, the method of exhaustion is and why it's so exhausting. But this is what we call rigor. By following the logic, one is meant to be able to show or to prove that with absolute certainty, whatever result that follows is true. In the Platonist view, we are just verifying what already exists in the universe. In the Formalist view, we are just playing the game of mathematics, without, so without proof there is no math. But what about the perspective of this show? The proof still matters, there's no way to take that away from math, it's too ingrained. We're talking, it was invented in 500 BC, 600 BC. It's now 2020, it's not going anywhere. The correctness of it depends much, so much more on the mathematical community than some people think. When a paper is written, it is said to be peer-reviewed by many mathematicians from varying fields and then it is determined to be correct or not. Now this seems to be perfectly reasonable, and I totally agree with it. But what happens when we decide that this is wrong? Well, this has happened before. So now we're going to take a little time trip and tell you the tale of the famous four-colored problem. The original problem was asked back in 1852. The conjecture said that any map can be colored using only four colors so that no regions with the same color can touch. Two different proofs were given by, by the mathematicians Kemp and Tate in 1879 and 1880, and these proofs were accepted for about a decade. The community decided that these proofs were correct, which should mean that they're infallible. However, 10 years later, a mathematician Haywood showed a counterexample with a math that had 18 segments. This counterexample remained effective for over 100 years. Then in 1976, two mathematicians at the University of Illinois came up with a proof using a computer. This problem was also the first problem proven with a computer, and the way to disprove this would be to go through cases and find a number of faces that can be colored with just four colors without the same color touching. The reason that a computer was needed is that there were just too many cases for a person to do by hand. This 1976 computer took something like two weeks straight of constant runtime to run through all the cases needed to finish the proof. This was a major event in the mathematical community, and at the end, people didn't count it as an official proof since a computer did it. It had never been done before. They had no reason to think that it was valid. It had to be argued that this was a valid proof. They claimed that the rigor wasn't there, and thus invalid. This got resolved. Um, head mathematician person, president of the math mathematical association, went to the university and asked mathematicians, like, why was the computer needed? And they explained how many cases there were, thousands and thousands of cases needed to do this proof. And they're like, if we did this by hand, this proof, this problem would never get solved. And so the the math the head honcho obliged, and everything was resolved. And I love the story of this problem so much because it is a, it is a good example to pick at those mathematicians who make too big of a deal out of the absoluteness and irrefutability of mathematics.
The subject is nothing without the people who are in it, that is often forgotten. To wrap up, yes, proof is incredibly important to math, and as we have and as we know it, there would be nothing without it. I love proof writing, it's probably my best skill. It's like a puzzle. But I know that it is not essential math to mathematics as some people think. It's only here because Thales said so in six hundred BC. This has been Mathematically Speaking. Thank you for listening.